Good morning, Third Street. Good morning. How y'all feeling? I'll tell you what, man, I, I'm not gassing you. I'm, I love being here. Me too. And I don't like to miss. I, I missed you guys last week. Oh, thank you, Roz. I know that you mean that. I know that you mean that. The rest of y'all were like, he wasn't here last week? <laughs> nah, he for sure, he did that sermon on, uh, you know, what's his name? Yeah. No, I wasn't here last week, and I missed you guys. I... I truly uh, love being here. Um, for those of you who may not know me, I see a few new faces uh, in, the, in the crowd gathered here this morning. My name's Corey. I serve as one of the pastors here at Third Street Community Church. And this morning, it is my distinct honor and privilege to be back in the presence of the good people of Third Street in order to bring the word of our Lord. It is my honor and my privilege to be back and make it back just in time to be a part of and continue this series we've been going through for the last few weeks called Psalms in the Key of Life. Now, this isn't just a bone we're throwing to the seasoned saints in the room by talking about Stevie Wonder, though you are welcome. Um, this is a series that we've, uh, that we've been diving into. If you, if you aren't familiar, if you aren't familiar, let me preface this way. If you aren't familiar, uh, this is based off of an album one of the greatest albums of all time, in my objective and most objective people's opinions, uh, called Songs in the Key of Life by Stevie Wonder. This is his compilation album of his own life experiences put into song form the way that he would want them to be put, the way that he would want them to be told, the way that he wanted them to be released. And I think similarly so, the book of Psalms is the people of Israel's real life experiences, right? The raw, the real, the, the, the direct feelings and experiences of the people of Israel, of the people of the family of God as our Lord would want them told. And so this morning, we continue that trend, obviously, in the book of Psalms. This morning, we're going to turn to the 46th chapter. It's a familiar psalm to some of us. It's been pretty famously recited, though I think that I think that it's always good to revisit the classics. This is Psalm 46. If you haven't already, I encourage you to turn in your Bibles and meet me there. And for the rest of us, it'll be up here on the screen. This is Psalm chapter 46. We're going to go ahead and read the whole thing, starting in verse one, the psalmist writes it this way. God is our refuge and strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not be afraid. Though the earth trembles and the mountains topple into the depths of the sea, though its waters roar and foams and the mountains quake with its turmoil. Selah. There is a river. Its streams delight the city of God, the holy dwelling place of the Most High. God is within her. 
she will not be toppled. God will help her when the morning dawns. Nations rage, kingdoms topple. The earth melts when he lifts his voice. The Lord of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Selah. Come, see the works of the Lord who brings devastation on the earth. He makes wars cease throughout the earth. He shatters bows and cuts spears to pieces. He sets wagons ablaze. Stop fighting and know that I am God, exalted among the nations, exalted on the earth. The Lord of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Selah. We can go home, right? Man. In the early 1970s, amidst a war that a lot of people opposed, in the immediate aftermath of the civil rights movement, through the political unrest and the uncertainty and shaky ground that our nation stood on, Stevie Wonder included a track on what is probably his most famous album called Saturn. In this track, he writes that he's packing my bags, going away to a place where the air is clean. On Saturn, there's no sense to sit and watch people die. We don't fight our wars the way you do. We put back all the things we use. He's dreaming of a place that is not war-torn. He's dreaming of a place that is not polluted with not only the social unrest, but the chemicals that are released into our environment, literal and metaphorical. He's dreaming of a place that is at peace. And he goes on on this track to say, I'm going back to Saturn where the rings all glow. Rainbow moonbeams and orange snow. On Saturn, people live to be 205. Going back to Saturn where the people smile. Don't need cars because we've learned to fly. On Saturn, just to live to us is our natural high. Yeah, Stevie had bars. Stevie, Stevie had an idea in his mind of what a place would look like that was at peace, that was at rest, where all things existed in harmony. And unfortunately for him back then, it was so far-fetched that the only place he could logically put it was on an uninhabitable planet super far away. That's how distant this idea felt to Stevie Wonder and to an entire generation coming up in the 70s. I don't know about you, but this idea, this utopian idea of us being at peace and harmony seems really distant to me as well. I don't know about you, but 
the things that are going on in our world and in our society make it really, really impossible sometimes to, to, to logically decipher and to, to really f- like emotionally get to a place where I feel like it's all going to be okay. This psalm that we read this morning speaks of a place that Stevie saw as distant as Saturn. This psalm speaks of a place where war is put to bed. This psalm speaks of a place where people who are in constant turmoil and anxiety and and, and, and depression are given peace. This psalm talks about a place where there is no more fear of, of having to hold on to what might be taken from you. That there is no more sadness, there is no more fear, there is no more worry. This psalm speaks of a place that to Stevie feels as distant as Saturn, to, to myself feels probably as distant as Pluto, whether that's still a planet or not. But according to this psalm, is actually quite near. Because this psalm also, I would say moreover, speaks of a God who is our refuge. A God who is, as the old church would say, an ever-present help. Not only someday, not only somewhere, but is an ever-present help here and now. The psalm starts with a definitive. Verse 1 says, God is. Now, I wish I had a little bit more time and a little bit more, more help this morning because if I had more time and I had more help, I would probably tell you about God is, right? I would probably tell you that that is a definitive statement. See, sometimes, no, I just did it myself. A lot of the times we speak with such conditions. We speak with such soft qualifications when it comes to God and other things, right? We talk about, well, maybe, right? Perhaps, we talk about, we talk about, well, 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 well possibly or, or, or sometimes, right? We try to soften things with conditions or we soften them with qualifications, especially as it comes to God, because we're scared of being wrong. We're scared of, of, of overstepping. And so we talk this softly as it comes to God because we're nervous. We don't want to. We don't want to enforce our views on anybody who doesn't want them. We wouldn't want to offend anybody, especially as it pertains to God. We try to politely, you know, politely include the person next to us and just gently suggest but not really suggest, and then, oh, well, but, 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 but if you feel like it. But sometimes I think we forget. The Psalms are songs. And based on the way that this starts, 
I would have to believe that this isn't a cute, soft love song. This isn't sometimes God is, but is meant to start on a high note. Now, there's a time and a place to offer the gentleness of our Savior. But Psalm 46 ain't it. Psalm 46 starts with a definitive. Psalm 46 says God is. God already was. God will continue to be. God doesn't have to qualify himself because God doesn't change. God is. In the midst of the circumstance that are threatening you, in the midst of all that is causing you to be fearful or unsure, there is a definitive statement made right from the jump that says God is. God isn't meant to be sung softly. God isn't meant to be thought of gently. God is meant to assert himself right into the middle of your fear right into the middle of your circumstance and to those things he says I am God is well God is what you spent 20 minutes telling me that God is definitively God is what well read on my friend God is a refuge God is, in other words, a place and offers a condition of safety, of belonging beyond the reach of the enemy, beyond the strategy of the devil, beyond the dangers of this world. God is a refuge that ought to be relied on in times of anxiety and fear. God, the text says, is also our strength. I don't know about you. Maybe you guys are more saved and sanctified than I am. But for me, in my household, sometimes I feel weak. Sometimes I'm not talking about funny. I'm talking about tired. I'm talking about not having having the ability to stand up to what's going on. I'm talking about waking up sometimes and slowly opening my eyes to see what how I feel and what kind of day I'm about to have. I'm talking about being weighed down by the struggles that are offered to me Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, all the time on Wednesday, Thursday, even on Friday and Saturday. I'm talking about a really, really weak moment where God says, I am your strength. When you can't get up in the morning, God is. When you are too stressed to even face it, God is. And when you're so unsure that you're not even sure you can throw up with, you can show up without throwing up. God is. It says God is a helper. Thank God he's a helper. How many years of watching LeBron James have we just sat back and thought if only he had some help? If only there was literally anyone else that could make a shot. And I'm not here to preach the gospel of Anthony Davis this morning, but thank God my man finally has some help every other game. I, temper expectations. 
Temper expectations. Temper expectations. God is a help. He's not just the coach that stands on the sidelines with his hands in his pockets and is like, hey, over there, right? God is in it. God is right next to you. God will use you. God will help you. God will see you through. He is a help when we need it. And what I love the most about this text is that it offers an answer to any qualification we could slap on it. Well, sometimes, right? Well, when the weather's nice, right? Or when it's not too hot or too cold in the gym. Yeah, half of you just realized, dang, it is almost that time, isn't it? It's about to get so hot. Stop. The text says he is always. Church, when is he found? Always. Always found in times of trouble. Not just when you've been real good and you say your prayers is he found. Not just when you clean yourself up and make yourself presentable first is he found. Not just once you've paid your dues and now you're allowed to softly, quietly re-enter is he found. He is always found right here, right now in your present condition. God is. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, it's easy for this psalmist to say. Easy for them to say they're not having to deal with what I'm having to deal with. Don't you, don't you know, Pastor, it's 2023. Our troubles are new. My generation has had it way harder than the past generations. Don't worry, I'm not going to be an old curmudgeon this morning. I... I just want to offer perhaps a little bit of context that will allow you to understand the depth of God is because for the people who were writing this, for the psalmist, for the, for the, for the people of Israel in this time when this psalm was written, there was doom on every side. See, they were trapped. They were, they were stuck, right? They had an impending military threat at every border. As a matter of fact, every morning they would wake up and they'd look out on the horizon to see if today was the day that we were being invaded and that we lost our livelihood and that we lost our homes and that we lost our riches and that we lost our culture and that we lose our names, right? They were looking on the horizon to see if today was the day because the impending doom was that significant. There was nowhere they could run. There wasn't a border they could flee to without being met with a military of opposing forces. They were surrounded. You want to talk about circling your own room. You want to talk about feeling trapped. You want to talk about feeling like the walls are closing in. And yet in the middle of this psalm, in the middle of this situation, the truth of God that they cling to is that God is. Isn't it amazing and beautiful and what an act of faith that their theology, that what they believe about God wasn't shaken even by the fact that at any day they could lose it all. Easy for them to say though, right? And then the text 
includes two different occasions, three different occasions, excuse me, says Selah. It just means pause, peace. Y'all got too excited to hear me say pause. Stop it. It means stop right here. It means peace. It means reflect. And so we will obey the text here. We'll stop. And we'll reflect what's the impending threat that is causing fear and anxiety in your life. What is the stressor in your life that is giving you a sense of impending doom? What is it that is pressing on you so significantly right now that your neighbor might not even know about, but you feel it so strongly that you wake up with a stomach ache or a headache every morning? What is causing fear and anxiety in your life? I have to say that I know there's more than a a few of you who are experiencing this in real time right now. I know others of you are saying, oh, here you go, right? He's going to be up there being all spooky, prophesying like the rest of them. No, listen to me. This isn't, this isn't about being spooky. This is actually just basic statistics. You know that a study was done um, that, that, that showed that in the United States, nearly 30% of people experience Regular sadness daily. You know, that's almost a third of us. And there's just enough folks in here for me to stand on good ground while I say that more than a few of us in here are experiencing sadness daily, regularly. And that's just those of us who are sad. I didn't even touch on those of you who are so mad at the person next to you. I didn't even touch on those of you who are so stressed out by what's happening at work or in your home. I didn't even talk about those of you who are holding on to grudges so significantly that it might radically change your family's history. I didn't even talk to those of you who are under generational curses of oppression and poverty. I didn't even talk to those of you who are... Do you see what I'm saying? So it's more than a few of us this morning that feel some type of impending doom. But if I can offer a little bit of an encouragement this morning, and if there's nothing else you hear from me this morning, I hope you at least hear this point. It's that a mighty fortress is our God, right? God is our fortress, What we have added to ourselves by our own strength, by our own will, by our own desire, that can be taken from us and destroyed by the elements of this world. But but what has been given to us by God, what has been established in us in God can never be stripped from us. It can't be taken. It can't be touched. God is a fortress. God is our strength when we don't have it to face the day. When the kids yesterday was just enough to be too much. God is our strength. And while he may not do your laundry physically, he is your help. Always in times of need. Psalmist says, there is a river. I love this. 
It says, there is a river. See, this is how we know that now we're talking about God's kingdom and we're not talking about Jerusalem, right? Because Jerusalem didn't have no river. Part of the reason they were like double doomed is because they didn't have a regular flowing source of sustenance or resources flowing into their city. See, back then, cities were really tough to conquer if they had a river flowing through it because they had sustenance and resources right there in the city. Jerusalem didn't have that. Talking about landlocked, talking about middle of the desert, talking about they in trouble, right? But the psalmist talks about a land, a city where there is a river. So he's talking about the kingdom of God. He's talking about God's kingdom for eternity. He says that there is a river that is your sustenance. There is a river that is your resource. There is a river that keeps you safe from harm. There is a river that guarantees that all of your needs are met for eternity. A kingdom we are all invited into where our needs are more than met. They're actually overflowing. And for the psalmist to write to the people of Israel, this is a vision of hope. That even though doom is on our horizon, that even though any moment we may be conquered and plundered and lose it all, there is someday a hope for us that we won't have to live in fear. Someday. But church, the good news for us as we sit here this morning is that we live in light of a new covenant. We live in light of a, of a new promise. There is a river that is not only for us eternally, but might I submit to you this morning, there is a river flowing to you, through you, and for you this morning. In John chapter 3, there's this man that comes to Jesus in the middle of the night and he's looking for answers. He's a religious man. He's a righteous man. He's a man who is well-versed in the law. And he's so well-versed in the law that most in his community look at him as the know-it-all. Most in his community look at him as the man who has the answers. He's a man in his community who's looked to to make the decisions in, in, when there is a question involved about the law. He is very well-versed, and yet he comes to Jesus because though he is so well versed in the law though he knows the things of God though he knows things about God he recognizes that he still needs some answers and what Jesus offers this man is that he must be and it's an invitation to be born Jesus says of water he says there is a water that cleanses you. I know you are well-versed in the religious ceremonies, Nicodemus. I know that you know what it takes for a priest to be cleansed, but there is a water that I'm here to offer to all people that cleanses. I know that you are so well-versed in the law that you hold people to such a high standard that you expect them to modify their behaviors to fit the knowledge that you possess, but I'm here to tell you that there is a water that transforms and renews hearts and spirits. What he offers to Nicodemus in the middle of the night is water that cleanses and that 
transforms. I don't know if any of you this morning are looking for answers or you're carrying guilt and shame around or you feel like you know a whole bunch of best practices and yet you still can't feel like you snap it in the right way. You just don't, you just, it's just not clicking, right? It's just not flowing. There is a water that is flowing to you that is accessible to you here and now that cleanses and transforms. You turn the page to John chapter 4 and what you see in the middle of the day. You see all it in the middle of the night. Now flip the script to the middle of the day. Somebody who's so ashamed to be around uh, the public that they go to Jesus in the middle of the night. And now we're turning the page to somebody who's so ashamed to be around her community that she goes to the well in the middle of the day. She goes to the well in the middle of the day to collect a little bit of water. See, she's thirsty, right? She's looking for a drink. But at the well on this day, though she successfully avoided her entire community, because because she's been through some things and they've been judging her for some things and I know we at Third Street would never hold people's sins against them type things but 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 they looked at her some type of way and so she goes to the well just looking for a drink in order to avoid scrutiny and what she meets is Jesus what Jesus offers to her he says young lady if you only knew who it was that you were speaking to, you would ask me for a drink. What he offers her is a water that quenches her thirst, but he says that this water is a little different. It's like a spring eternal. Jesus calls it a living water. He says this living water guarantees that you will never thirst again. And she's baffled because she's like how could you a Jew a man somebody I've never seen before offer me such a valuable thing to my life and Jesus speaks of a day he casts a vision where the gathering spots will no longer matter matter because the spirit of God dwells within his believers that the living water will flow in each and every one of us and we will no longer have to be segregated sorry I meant separated By our cultures. He offers a living water that meets every need and offers a safe gathering place. In Matthew chapter 28, we find a group of believers that are terrified. I mean, they're celebrating because their teacher, their leader, the one that they've followed around for about mm, three years who they watched tried in the middle of the night, who they watched beaten and bloodied through the streets, who they watched nailed to, to a piece of tree, stripped naked uh, and, and humiliated in front of an entire community, crucified, bled out, killed, buried with a stone rolled over it, never to be seen again, died. Well, wasn't dead anymore. They went to the place where he was buried and he wasn't there. And then they met him on a road and some of them met him in a house and some of them met him on a seashore selling, selling seashells. But, but the point is that their teacher, their master, their leader had been resurrected. That all that he said to be true was suddenly realized to be true. He was who he said he was. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is our Savior. And yet now Jesus stands before us and says, I'm leaving. They're terrified because they realize in his tone and in his, in his speech that they're not going with him. 
that they don't get to go to the city where there is a river overflowing and it's pleased to dwell with the people. They realize they're not going. They're stuck here. They got to they got to deal with the with the rest of the world and they don't really just have to deal with the rest of the world as it is fallen, depraved and a broken humanity. They have to deal with this world upset. Because they don't like the words that there's that they're preaching. They don't like this leader. They they are going to outlaw even talking the way that they talk. They know they're in trouble if they stay here. Jesus says there is a water. I'm sorry. He gets more direct. He says there is a spirit. There is a presence that goes with you. And I will not leave you abandoned, but I will be with you everywhere you go in all times, in all situations. Until when? Until the end of the age. Jesus speaks of a water. Sorry, I did it again. I said a spirit that goes with us everywhere and for always. Church, Selah, there is a river flowing into your life. This river is living water. This river is everything that you need. The living water is the Spirit of God that can be whatever you need Him to be. I know you thought that was Batman, but Batman got it from the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is with you. And it will be whatever you need it to be. It will be your strength when you're weak. It will be your help when you feel alone. It will quench whatever thirst, whatever need it is that you have. The living water is the Spirit of God deposited into your life to guarantee and establish your safety, your strength, your help. But I, I have to pause because it says Selah, we're going uh, to obey the text. I have to pause and ask, but have you asked them though? Like, I have to imagine that you know the exact need you need the Spirit of God to fill, but have you asked him to? Have you trusted that he will? Have you gotten so locked in to expecting it one certain way that when the Spirit starts to move in a slightly different way, because remember, his ways are better than our ways, you, you, you can't accept it because it's not the way that you were looking for originally. No, that one's just me. Have you asked the Spirit of God to be the need that you need filled in your life right now? Amen. And I can't let you go without pointing out this one last, just one more. Give it to us, Pastor. This one last really important imperative thing in the text because it's all throughout and it, it specifically addresses how we act in our fear. There's a really, really famous verse in here that some would translate, be still and know 
that I am God. What I appreciate about this translation is that I feel like it's a little bit more direct and we'll get into a whole history of why it is the way that it is some other time. I don't have the time this morning, but I really like the translation that says, stop fighting and know that I am God. There are so many of us that are fighting. We're tired, not because things keep getting thrown at us, but we're tired because we're trying to fight the things that are getting thrown at us. We're fighting battles based on fear. We're fighting because I'm afraid of what happens to me if I don't. We're fighting out of fear. We're fighting out of self-preservation. You want to know how I know that your national political leaders aren't godly? Because they lead campaigns driven by fear. That's not godly. We're out here fighting battles because, oh, they're trying, to, they're trying to take my guns. They're trying to take my rights. They're trying to take this. They're trying to take that. If they have their way, we're going to. That's not godly. It's fighting a battle out of fear. It's fighting a battle out of what you stand to lose. We're fighting a battle because we're afraid to lose things. We're fighting a battle because we're afraid, we're afraid to lose our, our, our cushion that we've stowed away where nobody but our bank teller can see it. We're fighting a battle because we're scared to lose the the current condition of our family or at least the appearance that we got it all together. We're we're fighting this battle because you know how many people rely on me to make this work and what if I lose it all? We're fighting a battle to hold on to our house. We're fighting a battle to hold on to our livelihoods. We're fighting a battle to hold on to, 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 to this image we put of ourselves on social media. Can I tell you a secret? None of us believe you anyway. We're fighting this battle out of fear because we feel like we got something to prove. We're fighting this battle because we feel like we got this chip on our shoulder that was handed to us from childhood or wherever. And we feel like we got to puff our chest. We feel like we got to posture. We feel like we got to show them, right? We want to use the haters as fuel. Can I tell you another secret? Using the haters as fuel is allowing toxicity into your heart. That's not real. That's what athletes say about motivation when they're just really, really upset that you don't like them. I know. That's not real. We're fighting out of fear because we feel like we got to prove that we can do it. We got to prove that we're established, that we can win. But Psalm 46 lays it plainly. Psalmist, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that flows in you, it flows in me, it's accessible to all of us, says, stop fighting. Stop fighting fighting these battles based on fear. Yeah, there's a lot of things we need to stand up for, but not to fear. Why? Because I am God. You just got to know that I am God. That what's going to happen to this land is going to happen to this land based on God's design. That the fear is not what should drive you. But the presence of that living water should give you a peace even in the midst of the hardest situations. In the midst of the turmoil, in the midst of the struggle. 
Jesus says, I've met your needs. I'm meeting your needs. Be still. Stop fighting. What's the battle that God wants you to stop fighting right now? What's the battle that is absolutely wearing you out? And you're pleading and begging God to send help. But the reality is maybe it's going unaccepted because God didn't ask you to fight that battle in the first place. What's the battle that God wants you to stop fighting? Where do you need to have the Psalm 46 faith that even in the midst of mountains being crumbled underneath the sea, that was hyperbole to them. But to us, it's a real thing. It's a real threat. In the midst of in even the most unimaginable danger to have peace and know that God is. Church, don't think for even a second that I've gone soft on what we're fighting outside these walls. Don't think for a second I've turned a blind eye to the uphill battle we got in our community. Guys, we're fighting violence. We're going up against hunger. We're going up against housing disparities, educational inequities, and no access to health care. I see it. What I don't see necessarily, but that only you know, is the threat that's in your personal lives. The broken relationships. The fear that drives you to work overtime. The wondering if it'll be, all be okay. I know we're up against it. Stop fighting out of fear. The Bible instructs us all over the place to stand firm. Paul says that the Spirit of God will give you the strength that you need to stand firm. Amen. Stop fighting. Stop fighting. Stop swinging. Stop tearing people down. Stop running yourself ragged because you're afraid of what happens if you don't. Know that he is God. And that his rhythms are perfect. So here's a crazy thought for me. That means when God says rest, he means rest. That means, yeah, I, I know, I said me. My wife's pointing at me. Relax. It's not about me right now, it's about them. <laughs> That means when even in the face of death, there is peace and rejoicing, let there be peace and rejoicing. Right? Trust that God is infinitely more wise, infinitely more creative than we are, that his rhythms are good, that his words are true, and that 
in the midst of whatever uncertainty we're facing. We might not be, but God is. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this day. God, I thank you for... thank you for your presence. God, I thank you that I thank you that you are with us everywhere in all times until the end of time. God, we thank you that the one who is preparing a place of peace and harmony for us is the one who offers us peace and harmony in our lives today. God, I thank you that While we anxiously await your kingdom by the living water that is made accessible to us, we can experience glimpses of it today. Lord, we want that in our lives. Let me stop being soft and qualifying. We need that in our lives. Lord, we pray that you would give us the faith through your Holy Spirit that we need to trust the living water you have flowing in and through us. God, I pray that that we would that we would have the faith to say, though I might not have the strength, you do. God is. God, I pray that you would give us the courage to trust your word. I pray that you would give us the endurance to see it through. Lord, I pray that you would give us the perspective to recognize the way that your spirit is coming through and to celebrate and acknowledge what you're already doing. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us for the things that we've held in favor of your living water. I pray that you would forgive the ways that we've turned to something else and that in place of what we've been holding on to, you would allow us to receive grace for those around us who are doing the exact same thing. God, I pray that you would give us the confidence to follow you into eternity as you lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's in Jesus' name we pray all who believe say, Bless up.